Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is foreign language syndrome? Can machines have souls? Can parasites feed on positive as well as negative energy? Hey there, and welcome to the 443rd edition of Behind the Paranormal. 483rd edition. Sorry, 480. It's been it's been a rough day. I know, <laughs> yes. It's been a mo- it's it's Monday, and as I read somewhere, uh, s- September is the Monday of the year. So anyway, continuing with our intro, welcome to the 483rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those weird and very questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And for many, of you, many of you have said that uh, you like our show on the, uh, uh, like our shows on the extreme paranormal. Uh, so that's our subject this evening, the extreme paranormal. And if you'd like to share your own ultra weird experience, or ask a question, uh, you can call us locally at four zero one seven six six one two four zero. Again, that's four zero one seven six six one two four zero. Or anywhere in the U.S., you can call eight hundred four four nine one two four zero. Again, that's anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. But before we get started, let's do our paranormal contest, since we haven't done this in four or five months. months. Yeah. All right, so here's the question. Who was the first major paranormal researcher to write about unidentified submerged objects, or USOs? Get that one right and win a copy of my 2006 book, Rhode Island, A Genial History. All right, now let's get on with the show. All right. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, just to apologize, not apologize, but just uh, to qualify my son's comments, he's back at uh, Emerson College uh, for the semester now, but fortunately his schedule allows him to be with us on Monday nights so we won't have to go through what we went through without him last time. When I worked in psychiatric hospitals as a grad student in the 1970s, I encountered a number of cases in which people had been diagnosed with little understood medical conditions that I suspected had paranormal components, but that was me. Among these were people who were, I suppose, schizophrenics, or diagnosed as such, who seemed to be living in real parallel worlds, and even a patient with dissociative identity disorder, otherwise known as multiple personalities, who really seemed to be different people at different times, even had different voices as each personality would come through. It was really bizarre. But probably the strangest cases of this kind result from foreign language syndrome, or FLS. Uh, there's, um, I don't know, there's also a common, uh, more common foreign accent syndrome, or FAS. But we're talking about foreign language syndrome. Now, I never worked with one of these cases personally, but they involve people coming off comas, or even sometimes severe headaches and suddenly have foreign accents and or speak in foreign languages that they never knew before. Now, one example of FAS was seen, um, FAS, anyway, was seen in a BBC documentary that uh, aired only last Tuesday, September 3rd. Uh, That was about Sarah Colwell, a woman from Devon, England, who was hospitalized in 2010 with a severe migraine. She woke up and suddenly found that she had a Chinese accent. Doctors couldn't figure it out. Now, one thing I suspected was that if if someone I don't know what the cause was of the what what these migraines were, but they can be very serious. Uh, I have heard occasionally of people having slurred speech when they uh, come out come out of one of those things, and that could be, I suppose, mistaken for a Chinese accent. Not everyone knows what a Chinese accent sounds like. What do you think, Ben? About what a Chinese accent sounds? Well, no, like? no, no. I mean, <laughs> 
Yeah, so imitate the Chinese. No. No, uh, no uh, we're talking about this case in which a woman uh, awoke from a, a very severe migraine and had a Chinese, a foreign, a foreign accent syndrome. What, how long ago was this? I, I, 2010. This been, oh, for some yeah. reason I expected it to be like the the 1910s. No, no, no. These are all recent cases. Huh. Um, well, there was, mean, well, there was no indication that she had a stroke. That that was that would definitely create slurred speech. Yeah, I mean, um, let's. I'm just brief, briefly looking through this. Well, there's, there's probably a lot of reasons why. I mean, there are all sorts of strange things that happen with the human body and the brain, and especially the language centers, or uh, the that's the left hemisphere of your brain yes i believe so yeah yeah the, there's a lot of strange things that happen there i mean I, it's sort of like i don't know well i can't really explain i, it sh- I should correct what i just said because she later went to london and had a private mri because you know that they have uh socialized medicine there so, but yeah i guess if you pay for from what our relatives over there tell us if you pay for your own you can get what you want if you can afford it so she had an mri that indicated that she had had a stroke but it hadn't left a scar which is why the regular hospital people hadn't found it so that could be slurred speech uh, mistaken for a Chinese accent. Only about, uh, now getting into a foreign language syndrome, though, only about 150 cases have ever been recorded. That doesn't mean there weren't more, but those are the only ones that were officially recorded. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's like, it's like there's the statistics about, um, what was it? Mental illnesses that only about, about 80, 80%, I'm trying to remember, there, 80% of the population has a mental illness, according to the U.S. Psychi- Psychiatri- uh, Psych- Psychology Society or Association. I can't remember I which. I heard that that's as opposed to just being a little neurotic about I, it. I think that includes just being a little neurotic, but only, well, 10, not really an only 10% seeks treatment. That only ten percent of that eighty. Might not even know they have it. If it's yeah, exactly. Wild. That that's yeah. that's the thing. But of course, I I think that includes little neuroses and things like that. Like um. Well, in my day, those weren't considered illnesses. But I get I get what you're well, saying. Well, I mean, any there's I don't know. Yeah, they I, can't I be had debilitated. a well, I had a I had a psych a psychology professor who who said some something similar to the effect. He was saying that the uh, what was it the the big book of whatever the board of psychology has that says all the illnesses, their symptoms, blah blah blah. And he was saying, well, they put a lot more in than they take out. Oh yeah, that way they can sell more medicine. Oh, I didn't say that. Well, anyway, well, this um, is psychology, not psychiatry. Well, that's true. That's true. But the, the same principle might apply. Anyway, uh, but this with the FAS, uh, even strokes, they certainly don't explain in my book. You know how people wake up and are suddenly able to speak. Languages they never knew. Uh, one of those cases, the the foreign language syndrome, as opposed to foreign accent syndrome, uh, happened to an 81 year old man from Bath, England. Ah, Bath. Alan, yeah. Matter of fact, it was the year. It was right around the time we were there. We weren't there in 2010. Twelve. This is ten. Oh no, he had the stroke in ten, but this oh, came oh, out in twelve. Oh, 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 okay. Anyway, Alan Morgan, he had a severe stroke in 2010 and only recovered last year, 2012. Oh, right. The funny thing was that when he did come out of it, Mr. Morgan had completely forgotten English and could only speak Welsh, like, a language he'd never learned. Interesting. Now, his poor, shocked wife literally had to help him relearn English. Now, this fellow was not a, you know, I mean, he was, he was a native of England. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, he was a high-ranking officer in the Royal Air Force uh, and, and had, uh, or had been, anyways, retired naturally, but... Uh, now, of course, wouldn't you know, you and I, of course, were in Bath last year and yeah. could have looked the guy up had we known about this, but that's a story of our lives. Anyway, yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, 
Now, th- there are a couple of funny things about this case. Obviously, medically, I can't imagine how a stroke, I can see it would certainly could, could, could attack the language centers and wipe out the ability to speak English, but, but how, how would he learn? But learn another language, that's something yeah. entirely different. Well, th- there are a few telltale things with this. Uh, Mr. Morgan was diagnosed with, a fi- with a- aphasia, which impairs the ability to speak, as you know, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't speak at all half the time with that. Uh, Morgan uh, had Welsh parents, which is interesting, and briefly lived with his grandmother in Wales during World War II German bombing when he was a little boy. Everyone in Wales speaks English, though. Uh, but trying to keep, the, but they're trying to keep the language alive. So he might have picked up a few words, but to speak the, the language, sort of like, uh, sort of like I, old Irish. The Welsh language, uh, it's very. I, I'm not, hard I'm to not saying it's, I'm not me. saying it's akin to Gaelic. I'm saying that they're yeah. that they're that they're trying to keep it alive, like the oh, Irish, as are, the Irish are doing with Gaelic. Yes, I'm sorry. yes, that's yes, right. That, that's and even the Scots with their own. Yeah, they, they yeah. are. But uh, you know, it's not normally spoken day to day in Wales. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And. Um, a lot of people, because Wales being in the United Kingdom, people think the United Kingdom and England are the same thing. That's not true. England is one of several countries that make up the United Kingdom, others being Wales and, of course, Scotland. That's like saying only New York is the United States. Unfortunately, some foreign visitors I know thought that and didn't like America because of that. Anyway, yeah. uh, <clears throat> also uh, Northern, Northern Ireland and a uh, bunch of islands. So I'm, I'm wondering, uh, what do you think about ancestral memory? Could that have been, could have jogged something in his multiversal Self that brought out the Welsh language. There are somewhere someone he already knew Welsh. That's when he was a kid, <laughs> or he learned it from his grandma. Well, we learn our language best when we're little children, and we just pick them up from the. But but, but that exp- he was there briefly from the information that I have, and how he, whether he could have, could have picked it up so quickly, the entire language, and, and whether it was even spoken in the house to that degree is really doubtful. I mean, everybody has spoken. English and Wales for for oh, yeah. many many generations. Yeah, I don't really see how that's a possibility. <clears throat> yeah, to to think, I don't know. There's a lot of these. There's there's some very interesting explanations we can draw from this. Yeah, and uh, you wonder if there's a paranormal component in the sense of the multiverse there. Mm. So moving on, uh, in April two of 2012, a 17 year old boy from Malaysia got into a motorcycle accident, and uh, when he regained consciousness in the hospital, he could speak four. Languages, not one, not, not two, he could, not he, three. He had he had, ne- he had never no- known before before the the accident Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and Indonesian, and he and he didn't forget his native uh, Mal- uh, Malay, Malay, right? Malay, or, it, yeah. Mal- Malay, 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 whatever. Malay. Uh, it just sounds more uh, flowery. Uh, yeah. And the language he could speak uh, cha- would cha- change from day to day. Now, that's weird. That is really weird. <laughs> and, and he wasn't even in a coma. If I'm not mistaken, he... Um, oh, no, I'm thinking of someone else. Uh, he regained consciousness in the, in the hospital. It, it doesn't sound... As far as I know, he was not in a coma. He just had this accident, got, was knocked out, and all of a sudden he could speak four extra languages. Well, I mean... Uh, I wish it was that easy. I, I wish it was, too. Yeah. Actually, I did, speaking of languages, uh, while I was at other work today, which I will not mention... Um, Why not? Well, because I can't. Okay. Yeah, uh, I was I was looking I was looking up um, this Iceland Ice, Icelandic as a as a language and apparently uh, there I didn't know this until about maybe six hours ago that there are three categories of languages in difficulty. Category one being the easiest includes French, uh, Spanish, uh, Italian, all those. Uh, category two uh, contains things like Greek, 
Russian, and ironic, strangely enough, Icelandic is in that category. Really? Icelandic is in the category two. <laughs> category three are things like uh, Chinese, Cantonese, yeah. um, I'm trying to think of others, uh, Hindi, mm-hmm. or any of the Hindi dialects, really, um, and things like that. I, I was surprised that it wasn't up higher. I was, I was surprised it wasn't category three. Well, we were in Iceland last year, too, and uh, I love Iceland and the Icelandic people, but the language gives me a headache. Well, it's it's reading it that's terrifying. Oh, it's, it's just it's worse than old German. Throw in a bunch of consonants, then some umlauts, and a Y or seven, and then bam, there you go. Greek and, Greek and Hebrew are easier. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's category two language, so... Well, anyway, uh, I've said that I've never dealt with cases like this personally, but now that I come to think of it, that might not be entirely true. What comes to mind with this Malaysian case that you just mentioned, Ben, uh, is my own experience assisting with several exorcisms in the 1970s when I was a seminary student. On three occasions, the people involved could speak languages, in two cases, multiple languages that they had never learned. Could something like this process have been involved in, 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 in some of these accident cases that we're talking about? Now, it seems like a far cry from, from what the, I, with the time we believed was possession by a third party, but, um, I don't know. It, it seems awfully similar in a way. And this Malaysian case sent a shiver up my spine because on one occasion, the parasite that was doing the quote-unquote possessing addressed me in perfect melee about a highly traumatic event in my childhood that it would have no way of knowing about without access to the multiverse, of course, which parasites have. But of course, at the time, I was just, you know, in, in the, the theological mode that this was a, a demon and that was, that was all there was to it. But today, I think there's a lot more to that. Uh, we couldn't even tell what the language was at the time. One of the doctors had to look it up. So anyway, uh, I'm looking here now at a case from March 2010. A teenage girl in Croatia came out of a coma speaking fluent German. Actually, I'm going to leave that uh, for, for, for you, Ben. I'm going to get to this next one. Um, no, I'm not. I'm going I'm to continue with this because th- this is interesting. Um, the, the girl came out of the coma speaking fluent German, which uh, she did know as a second language, okay, but she had completely forgotten her native language, Croatian. Uh, there was no indication of a stroke. So we're going back and forth. People are learning new languages, forgetting them, forgetting their native languages. It doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to it. And still another example from Europe, an 18-year-old Czech motorcycle racer was out cold for about 45 minutes after a crash in 2007, and much to everybody's amazement, he came to speaking in perfect English, and he even had an English accent. This young man had only recently begun to study English in school and was having a terrible time with the pronunciation. He only knew a few words, according to his teacher. Now, a few days later, he had completely forgotten English again and had to speak to a British reporter through an interpreter. Unfortunately for him, he had to slog back into studying English. That's really a bummer, I guess, as we used to say. You know, you know English one day and you forget it and you have to go back to studying it in a conventional manner. Interestingly, he had no memory of the two days following the crash when he could speak English. So I'm starting to get a, a kind of a pattern here. I guess there is some rhyme or reason to this. And from our point of view, what could be happening here is that the, the brain being really sort of a radio or a conduit uh 
to, I suppose, what we would call these parallel worlds that in, in many of which we live, uh, was acting here through its own trauma, uh, through the accidents that occurred in this case. They were all head injuries uh, and, or comas, which do affect the brain profoundly. They were in touch, in my opinion, and I can't see any other reason for this, with worlds in which they lived, in which they actually could speak these languages, maybe were different people living in these other other worlds, and that seems to be how, how the paranormal operates. We don't believe, as most of you know, in the old paradigm, uh, spirits of the dead and all that stuff. We believe in parallel worlds, many, many of them, uh, in which people are... Um, I suppose we ourselves have many different lives and and uh, know many different things. And if you tie into that, which I think is the essence of a good spirituality, you're really tying into your um, your own talents, wisdom, good things in parallel worlds. And you might not have them here, but you have them there. You tie into it. So I think that's what's happening in the language uh, department here. Because other things have I've seen other people with head injuries uh, to whom odd things have happened. Some of them come out with great, uh, what are generally called psychic abilities, all right? They come out with new perspectives. This is not necessarily after having had a, a near-death experience, which is uh, often attributed to changing lives, you know, to uh, many changed lives. So in any case, um, uh, that sound like it makes sense to you? Oh, yeah. I, despite, um, well, no, it definitely makes sense. And I, I, I thought occurred to me that... Um, most of these people, it seems as if they suffered head, head injuries, right? Right. So some people usually use the phrase, oh, it scrambled your circuits, <laughs> like, a, as a joke. Yeah. But maybe it really did. Absolutely. Quote, In a quote, very profound scramble, way. Yeah. Sure. Quote, that makes a lot of scramble sense. Scramble some circuits. Yeah. Unquote. Now, of course, these are medical conditions. They're well recorded and confirmed. And I looked up some information about foreign language syndrome in the medical literature which I hadn't done for a long time, and it's just as useless now as when I looked it up Why, what, what 40 it? years what ago. Is it, what does it say? Well, essentially, say, here's, here's a quote. Sometimes the actual process of brain rewiring... Oh, there we go. Yeah, scrambled some circuits. Yeah. After an accident or illness can become confused, resulting in unusual behavior patterns within patients. The phenomenon known as foreign language syndrome falls clearly within that bracket. Foreign, foreign language syndrome occurs after a serious accident or injury to the brain which renders victims unconscious. When the patients come around, they find themselves talking in completely different languages that they weren't able to speak prior to the incident. This may continue for only a temporary period, as would that fellow with the English. Alterna uh, alternatively, some patients may find themselves speaking this completely new language for a prolonged period of time. End. That's an elegant way of, say, of explaining absolutely nothing. Wow, that is a very nice way of saying nothing. Yeah, at least, they don't even try and speculate. At least they did it nicely. <laughs> at least they did it nicely. At least they wrote it well. Yep. And it sounded nice. That's right. But it pretty much they said, well, we don't really know. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. They, well, that's they a, display you know. behavior. That's pretty much what they said. It's like we that display behavior. It's one of, the, one of those lines, uh, I don't know, was some film I saw, and uh, there was a very kind of ivory tower scientist who was trying to explain something and another scientist leaned over and said repeat after me I don't know uh. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's a tough thing for people who are in the upper echelon supposedly of the intellectual world to say well it depends it depends on the person I think because I remember we asked Stan Friedman something to that effect like um is it I think it was, uh, is it that people don't want to accept it? And he said, well, I mean, it depends on the person, really. 
Stan Friedman and the UFO expert. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, this, father, is, this is an entirely different subject, but when sure. dealing with, ac- ac- quote, academics, unquote, mm. it's interesting to note their agendas for why they say what they say or why they think what they think. Well, that's it. Well, of course, with mainstream scientists not being able to fit foreign language syndrome into their little box of alleged knowledge, they simply do what most of them do with anything remotely paranormal. They just deny that it exists. Or they just vaguely describe it. Very, right, yeah. very, 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 very general. Or they general. throw it over to the pseudosciences, which they then laugh at. <laughs> well, here's a quote. This is from this is on the on the case of this Croatian girl I mentioned. This is from Stephen Novella, head of the New England Skeptical Society. Okay, and right. he wrote, "Quote: There actually isn't a legitimate foreign language syndrome. See, so you just deny it. All right. Uh, and superficially, the story is highly implausible. Croatian is a Slavic language, but has some German words mixed in due to its history with the Habsburg monarchy. It used to be part of the Austrian Empire. Right." The reports indicate that the girl studied German in school, and so she could speak it before her coma. Not much of a mystery, really, unquote. Now, had Dr. Novella, who teaches at Yale University School of Medicine, been present with me at some of these exorcisms with objects flying off shelves and hitting us and bizarre voices coming out of the air and walls, he might have found the experience educational. But, of course... With well, all due respect, our armchair, our armchair scientist. Well, I mean, with I, all due respect to him, he's an eminent, eminent doctor, but he wasn't there. No, you no, know. no, no. That's the thing. It's like you can, you can respect some of these people without actually having to like them. Yeah, and, and I, I've witnessed some of these. You've witnessed stuff, and they, were, the skeptics, weren't there. Yeah, I mean, they'll they'll tell you their opinion of things and call it fact, but they don't know. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so, in any case. Um, what do we got next? There? So from uh, 1984 to 1986, a teacher named uh, Ken Webster, who lived in northeast uh, England uh, near the uh, Welsh border, back to Wales again. What if he spoke Welsh? Yeah, maybe. Uh, claimed to be in contact with a man from the 1500s over his computer. Well, that's pretty cool. So now we're getting into a different area. Yeah, yeah we're getting out of the foreign language system. Now, the alleged electronic communications, there were over 250 of them, as I've heard it, uh, took place over 15 months on one of the humble computers of the day. Now, it's funny, 1984 is the year I got my first computer. Ah, that's a funny, uh, that's, that's a funny year for that, 1984, like the yeah. H.G. Wells book. <laughs> well, it was a little K-Pro 2, and, and it, you know, it had a floppy oh, disk, like oh, no like, hard drive. Oh, like a Commodore? Like... Uh, one step above that. They used it for Ooh, word processor. Fun. So anyway... Back, back when 25 megabytes was a lot. It was. And megabytes, we didn't even think of megabytes. It was, it was kilobytes. It was just kilobytes. Yeah. Just, I get uh, my this, the computer he used had 32K, and it used floppy disks, so it had no, no hard drive. It was an old BBC Model B, which I'd never even seen. Now, communications from this, these things, uh, some in an antiquated spelling and dialect, included poems... Uh, which would spontaneously appear on the screen. Again, this is no hard drive, no internet. And uh, the internet was just getting started at that time. didn't exist for ordinary people. No, it was just for military use, right? Well, that's uh, pretty much how it started, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, there was, um, along with uh, a person who said he was Thomas Hardin, from the 16th century, there were several other possibly multiversal characters, so, if this really is true. Yeah, I was just going to say, well, I mean, wh- how do we know... This is this isn't fake. Like did, did well, they, the that he didn't just write that he may may have taken a few courses in like Middle English and then just wrote it on his screen. Well, he was a teacher. Well, well there, there were there were witnesses to this, and there was some investigation, which I'll get into in a second here. Right. Uh, 
there was a group uh, that was either called 2109 or was living in the year 2109, supposedly. That's not clear. Whoever they were, if they were, uh, said they were involved in a, quote, time manipulation experiment. But how they were communicating with this computer, nobody really knows. Uh, there were witnesses to these on-screen appearances, including a paranormal group, for whatever that's worth. Well, and 1980s were, England, but... Uh, yeah, but uh, people stood around, they saw these things appear on the screen, nobody was touching the keyboard, there was no technology at the time to bring this about, really. So, uh, okay, are we uh, coming up on a break here? Yeah. Ah, all right. Well, why don't we take our break and we'll get back to our haunted computer in just a minute. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno on WOON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stay with us. Hello, this is Manny Brando. Folks, my show's been moved Sunday morning at 8 a.m. Tell your friends the Manny Brando Show is now 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings, right here on Owen Radio. In times of joy, in moments of grief, Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. You can depend on us for public service, Owen Radio. And before we get back to the show, I just wanted to tell you about two of the charities Ben and I have adopted. One is USA Cares, which provides financial and advocacy assistance to post-9-11 active duty U.S. military personnel, veterans, and their families. They do great stuff for these folks. Uh, if, for example, you're short uh, for food that month or for mortgage, out goes a check uh, from these great people. And I would encourage you to check up on that, pardon the pun, usacares.org. Donate if you can. Also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy. Our good friend uh, Mike Blaze in Ontario founded that veteran himself, of course. Uh, it's a, he's a sort of a uh, advocate, certainly for veterans in Canada, uh, which, as you know, has been with us in the war on terror from the beginning, uh, side by side with us in Afghanistan, and it's a great uh, charity as well. So check that out too, CanadianVeteransAdvocacy.org. Okay, let's get back to our haunted computer here, our allegedly haunted computer. It sounds like something from like an 80s horror film. Well, it does. Uh, now, again, there were witnesses to these on-screen appearances. It's like war games. <laughs> so there were witnesses, uh, oddly enough. There was also um, poltergeist activity going on in and around the uh, Webster house at the time. Uh, people were reporting mediumistic experiences uh, as well. So if, if it's all true, that's an indication to us of uh, paranormal overlaps taking place, if you will. Well, this is something that's come up a lot lately. There, especially, well, I'm thinking especially of Ted Phillips. I remember that show. That was such a great show just a few weeks back on this station. And Ted is a great expert in, uh, from, gosh, got to be 30, over 30 years, probably more, that he has collected evidence of phys- physical evidence of UFO landings. And he has literally thousands of examples of this. And he noted that there are, there are areas where 
these the paranormal seems to be manifested in various ways, uh, not just as UFOs. And we're, we've always been big on that, that, that uh, the process that allows UFOs, whatever they may be, to manifest and people to see them, is very similar or the same as the process that allows, uh, say, ghosts or Bigfoot to manifest. And again, it has to do with these parallel worlds we uh, seem to be... Um, operating in paranormally speaking and uh, they come through uh, of course uh, these are speculated about in quantum mechanics uh, most uh, physicists today take them seriously in one way or another uh, the parallel world thing and that i think uh, <clears throat> has a lot to do with this so here you have uh, a house in england with the this strange messages coming over this really old computer not connected with the internet people seeing it as it happened and poltergeist activity taking place in the same house, and uh, that's an indication of seemingly unrelated events probably being related. Now, interestingly, this Harden, who supposedly was coming through from the 16th century on this computer, claimed to be living, not to have lived, on the same spot in the, the, the village, which was Doddleston in Cheshire, near the Welsh border, only he was in 1546. Now, communication from Harden ended on... a Victorian computer? Well, yeah, more or less. Of course, there are, there are a number of questions that arise about that, but it's very interesting that he did not claim to be a dead person. Oh, yeah. That, I that, find definitely. that all the time. I mean, there's people just assume that this is what it must be, some kind of ghost, but that, that's that's not what it is. Imagine you get emails from Shakespeare and... You know, the, all. Well, the email didn't exist at the time. Uh, no. But uh, no, well, well, there were more that came, that came through. But communication from this Harden ended in March 21st, 1986, when he said that he had uh, had to return to, to Brasenose College in Oxford, again in 1546. So here's the guy claiming to be in 1546, communicating with the guy in 1980, uh, well, actually 1986, that he uh, had to go back to Oxford. Okay, so, so that if, if this guy was really who he said he was, which is a very big if in our experience, he would have known how to write. That, would have been the, that was the first question I thought of when I saw this case. Very few people, a lot of, most people in the 1540s were illiterate, mm. especially in some village like Doddleston in Cheshire, with all due respect. Yeah. I hope, I don't know if we have listeners there or not, but. Well, I mean, it's, it's history. That's just what well, it was. Well, that's, people, it. that's people, it. Education didn't really come about until the Industrial Age. Uh, mass education. Mass yeah. education, yeah. I should yeah. say. I should but if the guys went back to Oxford, presumably, yeah. he would yeah. know uh, how, how to do that. But uh, one of Hardin's. Um, well, there was another name that came through, too, that seemed like the same person, Lucas Wainman. And I, I haven't quite figured out what that was about. Uh, one of Hardin's communications to Webster, Webster being the guy who owned the house, of course, in 1986, uh, reportedly was uh, translated from the archaic English it was written in, quote, I write on behalf of many what strange words you speak, as if he's talking to Webster. And, of course, a modern right. person would sound pretty weird to them. You are a worthy man who has a fanciful woman, that means a very attractive wife, and you live in my house with lights which the devil makes. He's talking about electric lights. So not only could he communicate, he could see what was going on, and that's what we believe is happening on most occasions when people are seeing what they believe are ghosts. You're seeing... Read the last sentence. (laughs) Okay. Read the last sentence. It was a great crime to have stolen my house. Unquote. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so as if that weren't weird enough, Hardin eventually took a liking to Webster's wife, Debbie, like some kind of multiversal computer dating or something. You know? This is so strange. Yeah, well, well that's extreme paranormal. That's what we're talking about today. That's so... Oh, man. 
That's 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 just. I mean, that's fascinating, but also kind of creepy if you think about it. Well, yeah. It's like all right, so you have a very fanciful wife. <laughs> <laughs> so if this Harden was involved with Oxford, as, as I say, he must know how to write. But how to use a computer? Well, I mean, if you want to say it's a multiversal experience, then... Well, we do see stuff happening with electronic equipment all the time. You know, how, how often have we got, oh, well, the VCR, well, no, not anymore VCRs, but whatever, the the uh, microwave turns on by itself, TV turn, turns on by itself. Right. You know, it's always electronic stuff, because we believe all, all these phenomena really are electrical, mm, ultimately. Yeah. Um, anyway, there were a lot of funny and telltale things about this Webster case, uh, as I've heard as I've heard it, Harden and some of the other people who were supposed to be coming through this computer had trouble trusting Mr. Webster at first. And that's funny because I've found that when I've had contacts with multiversal people or beings in one case or another. Because, again, w- once you realize these are not dead people, all kinds of things open up. And uh, you may be encountering something a lot less pleasant or something neutral or something quite pleasant. So it depends. Uh, they had trouble trusting him, and by, he tried, had trouble trusting them at first, and that, that's a very healthy thing. So I got—I have a question. So would this stuff just pop up on his screen? Yeah. Well, then, it would be it was if it was being typed, but the keyboard wasn't moving. No, no, nothing was typing on the keyboard. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I just—I can't figure out. You know, having had one of those kind, one of the uh, computer in that period, my first one, I just—he wouldn't can't be imagine speaking Middle one. English, would he? Like, well, some well, the, the 1540s, 1540s. Uh, well, there were some experts who looked at that, whether this was legitimate from that period. Um, What'd they say? I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead here. No, 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 that's all right. Well, so they, they disagreed. Yeah. Several people, and again, hard, uh, not hard, uh, Webster himself was a teacher, but not at any university. I believe right. it, was a, it was a primary school teacher. But some people said that uh, it was not legitimate for the period. And uh, Peter Trinder, who was a, a very accomplished linguist, very well known, said it was. So again, you're having people disagreeing here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, again, I think it was a parallel world overlap, if, if indeed it was legitimate. Uh, other messages, especially from this so-called 2109 group or place or person, were in completely modern and sometimes very technical and scientific terms. Now again, when you have a flap going on, when you have the energies that permit paranormal events to take place, as you know, you, you can have all kinds of seemingly unrelated things going on. People yeah. are talking about mediumistic experiences. And when I was mentioning uh, Ted Phillips, I was thinking of Marley Woods, as he was talking about on the show, where people, some people have gone in <clears throat> and come out with knowledge they never had before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about speaking foreign languages, as in our first cases, but you can see how there might be all the relationships here. So anyway, um, here's one of the messages from this 2109 group. And remember, this is in 1986. Quote. 2109. 2109. Yes. But the year 1986, coming through this computer. Yes. What you would call a tachyon universe, and this is me talking now, tachyon is a theoretical subatomic particle that travels faster than light. There is some evidence that they exist now. All these years later. Uh, back to the quote. We move at a speed so that we cover every point in your time and universe. Presumably talking about the people in this group. Right. Or whoever they were. We have no form. We feed of a, this is about neat energy, N-E-E-T, whatever that is. Maybe it's an abbreviation. <coughs> that you will not have heard of. Feeding on energy. What does that remind you of? Right. Parasites. Movement that casts no shadows. Thought without chemical reaction. 
Love without passion, hatred without anger, wars without life lost. How can we have a name? I've had conversations, well, I've had, I don't know, this, this sounds like parasites to me. We are many, but no more than one in the time to come. We have no retirement. Neither are we in this country anymore. Anyway, uh, ah, what an age to be if the digits were reversed, unquote. What an age to what be? What do you make of that? I don't know. It's like I'm reading a, something from Jumanji. Like <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, you know, I, I've, I've heard parasites communicate like this, if, yeah. if they do so in England. They like to be cryptic and annoying? Very cryptic and annoying. Well, an- annoying, anger, uh, making you disconcerted, Well, being angry, cryptic is just confused. another way to show that you don't really know much. That's right. That's true. I mean, just because it's like, well, we are formless... We have a neat energy. Yeah, we meaning feed whatever. On neat energy that you will not. Have well, they couldn't spell of. in some cases. Well, I mean, the, the, it's it's amazing that they even know English at all. Well, that's true. Yeah, I wonder if yeah, I'm wondering why, why communications in other languages didn't come through if this was legit. But again, right. I mean, I don't know. Now, here's another message from 1986. Quote: Time, UFOs, and most other types of the paranormal are in some way all connected. How have we not? That was us coming through in 1986. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay. It then talks about a, quote, tempo knot through a light time gate. Tempo knot being a time traveler? Is that, is that, is that another word for a time traveler? I didn't well, know that. Etymologically, yes. Tempo being time and knot being Through voyager. a light time gate. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. A light time gate. Well, there was more. Uh, Quote, we are not saying that there is no other life outside your planet. On the contrary, there is life elsewhere. The theories of quantum physics in your time do not anywhere near correspond with our understandings on this subject. Therefore, you will be none the wiser if we were to explain it to you. See, I think you're right that this is a very elegant way of saying nothing. Yeah. The only thing that you may relate to is a theory brought forward by an extremely clever scientist who claims in your time that there is an unconscious link between not just living organisms, but also between minerals as well. Well, yeah, we know Carl that. Carl Jung. The link is... The link is to do with two fractions of the atom, one which has not been discovered as yet in your time. This unknown fraction, whatever that's supposed to mean, will only be understood when your time realizes that there are other ways of monitoring these particles, spelled wrong, besides light and sound, the connection has to do with magnetic fields. Well, we know that, too. Well, I mean, it could be like Newspeak, like uh, from, from 1984, where they just changed words. I mean, we change our language all the time. Well, yeah. Much to my disc as an editor, much as to annoying my, uh, as that uh, is. Yeah. And uh, this is this is interesting. We will destroy any information that you haven't seen yet that exists a few years back, so that you may not be influenced by its disappearance in your time. You will not understand this statement either. Well, they're right about that. <laughs> we will destroy any information that you have not seen yet uh, that you have yet haven't yet seen. We will destroy any... Oh, I'm trying to look through So they this. say they're going to go back in time before 1986 here and destroy information so that we don't... We at the time wouldn't see it? I mean, is that what this is about? Which wouldn't make sense... No. ...at all, really, because, I mean, it could be a parallel universe in which they're already ahead, so then... If oh, they, yeah, that, uh, that's uh, undoubtedly the case. Since in quantum physics, all things... 
that can exist, or ever could, ever did, ever will, like pot, do to, exist simultaneously in one universe or other. Geez, the way these sentences are constructed, it's like trying to put together th- like a yeah. three-dimensional like jigsaw puzzle. And the last line, the creature called one, in caps, is unknown to us. More details, please. Called talking about God? I guess. They're not very smart if they miss God. It's the whole point of the universe. Maybe they have a different name. But Maybe, one. I don't know. One? One. The oh no, they spelled the it backwards. It's Eno. They're talking about us. Ha! That's it. Okay. I was thinking that too. All right, well, that makes that's, sense. That's pretty egotistic okay. of us. We'll move on from that point. <laughs> so the question is here if, I, if there's any legitimacy to this, how did the messages appear on the computer screen? And again, no internet, 1984, very primitive computer, nobody touching the keyboard. How did these things happen? And I'm thinking, you know, uh, we talked a, lot, well, a long time ago about Ted Sirios, who was, could look, and I knew him, who could look into a camera and think of a scene, and it would appear on the film inside. Not always, but sometimes. Well, I, I doubt that this professor was projecting thoughts well, and that's theories the next of quantum thing. physics and tempo knots Probably through not. light time gates. <laughs> teaching, Unless uh, he just watched Stargate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that didn't come out until the Teaching late, geography the at the local 80s. comprehensive. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, so and how did these people or entities receive the responses? That Because the responses oh, they, were typed oh, there were, back to there them. There were responses. Oh, yeah. Webster and others would type messages back. So here's this this guy claiming if if it was like some sort of futuristic Ouija board. Well, exactly. Well, you know, I asked that one time. Uh, we had um, oh someone on the show who was a scientist. I'm trying to think. Um, Phil Imbrogno. Oh, who is yes. not in anyone's good graces anymore. Well, he's not really. He it came out that he wasn't really a scientist, right? Well, he hadn't gone to a school. He said he'd gone. I I, I don't know. Uh, Whatever. We don't get involved in that kind of stuff. But no. Anyway, he had some interesting things to say that when he was on the show, and he said that he was uh, he had const- he had figured out that that EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, that all the ghost hunters talk about, uh, supposed voices that come and are recorded on digital medium media and, and uh, supposedly are from ghosts, um, were on an AM frequency, so they could listen to ON twelve forty, right? That is well, anyway, that's so not really say- true. I mean, well, I, I literally said. So well, I asked the. Well, the point is, that I asked the question. If you I don't. Remember. I don't think I was here for that. Otherwise, okay. I well, I asked the question. This is years ago. Yeah. I asked the question. Well, how do they hear us? Do they have an AM receiver? And he kind of got boggled by that. So I'd ask the same question here. If they don't have a computer at the other end, how do they get the messages? Exactly. In well, we don't. Twenty-six. I, I mean, we don't. I mean, electrical impulses went out. I suppose. So maybe it's that way. So, yeah, yeah I'm very... Well, the thing is, I mean, I can see how... anything. How, well, I can see how AM, like, that That would sort of make sense because AM stands for amplitude, amplitude mo- uh, modulation, in which the signal from transmitter or whatever bounces off the ionosphere and just sort of lands wherever. Well, the thing is, they'd need a transmitter to send something, which really doesn't make sense. Like, why would a ghost have an AM transmitter? We don't know. Well, especially where it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't, none of them claimed to be ghosts. They claimed to be people in different times. They just happened to have a transmitter. I can see the guys in 2109, but, but in 16, 1546. And plus, how guy, would the people pick it up if they don't have a receiver? Well, that's it. That's it, it. They pick it up on tape recorders. Unless it was a version of 1546 where people were aware of other worlds and could communicate or realize that it's an open system. I suppose Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's another thing. This is all speculation. It's all speculation. We, were, we weren't really there. We can't really ask the guy. No, that's like, it. That's it. I don't know these people. Yeah, I can't just know. come to me like, hey, this we have a show. We just did. We just did a thing on you. Do you want to be on the show? 
I mean, as fun as that would be, I don't think he'd... Well, actually, I, I was to... trying to find someone who was a witness to this, but it wasn't time. No, yeah, I, 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 look. I figured... I figured. This is a while ago. It is a, it is a while ago. I mean, yeah. this is the 80s. Yeah, like, yeah. A lot's happened since then. It's been like 30 years. You weren't even born yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, another thing that... that I look at these communications, uh, alleged communications, that it comes across like, like 19th century automatic writing. When the spiritualist movement started, and all the people get interested in seances and Ouija boards and stuff in the middle of the 19th century, there was a phenomenon that came, uh, came across as supposed automatic writing, like some medium or something would take a, have a pen, and supposedly would not be aware of what they were doing, and some, some ghost supposedly would, would communicate through that person and the person would write. Sounds uh, like the real society. <laughs> yeah, it's really strange. But but but, but the the flavor of of the wording and the communication reminds me very much of this. Yeah. Now now it's funny. We had uh, actually she was related to our family. She was a cousin. Um, uh, I'm not I'm not Harriet Beecher Stowe. Um, I, I'm having a senior moment here. But she wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Oh oh. Um, Julia Ward Howe. Julia Ward. Julia Ward Howe. And. As I as the story has come down, she woke up one night, got up, went over to her desk, and wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Came it's flowing right out of her pen. Now, I've heard of things like that happening. I've even seen it once or twice, mm. but it was not like quite like automatic writing in, in the sense that this is, and because but that's what this reminds me of. Uh, now again, uh, not all these communications were electronic. Some of them appeared written on the floor of the house, and Peter Trinder actually saw this. It just strikes me as it's very 19th weird. century, except except for the communication. But people would would sometimes in, in haunted houses, especially in the 19th century, get up and stuff would be written on the uh, on the wall. Now, I saw that once in a poltergeist case in Connecticut, the worst one I ever dealt with, 1975. And I walked in, and something had scrawled. We don't know what it used. Um, the, these words across the wall and it was it was the closest thing to Hollywood I ever saw there were holes punched in the walls there was this was a nasty bunch of parasites here uh, threw a chair at me an well, armchair thing, I couldn't have picked up well the thing that's interesting about this is the one from the 2190 uh, or 2109 I'm sorry 100 years in the future that's that's def- that's definitely different as opposed to yeah. some of the normal Stuff you have to deal with. Yeah, that people think are dead people. You know? Yeah, yeah, because it's time that it's in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible that somebody in twenty one oh nine, if they, if there, you know, I mean, there, there has to be a twenty one oh nine somewhere. Twenty one oh nine is is uh, doing time experiments. I mean, the whole the, the whole Rendlesham Forest UFO case. Uh, our good friend Jim Penniston said that th- these were not aliens to him when he encountered this ship and actually touched it. He said that these were. He believes they were time travelers from the future trying to replenish their DNA or something. We're going to have John Burroughs on next week to talk about other things, but maybe he can tell that, us where that, they that are might get the, brought up as decoding well. Decoding that situation. Ah, good, so good, good, good wordplay. Good yeah, it should be, it should be, it should be pretty interesting. Uh, but it has parasite overtones to me, causing doubt, questioning beliefs and things. And again, we weren't there, so we, we don't really know. But it just yeah. gets suspicious. Um, as you asked before, Ben, language experts uh, later said that the alleged 16th century communications were not faithful to the style and dialect of the time. But I looked at that and I said, so what? Th- th- I mean, that doesn't really have much to do with it. It was just sort of for my edification. Oh, no, no, no. But I'm wondering, uh, you know, with this, if it's a parallel reality, it might not be faithful to, to the one that 
occurred we we would think of as faithful. Yeah, to I that mean, there could be like subtle subtle differences. I'm thinking of that bearish being that I met in that attic during a case in in the Buffalo area and Buffalo, New York area, some years ago, and it spoke a very weird form of Latin that I had a lot, a lot of trouble getting through. And uh, it all depends on the nature of uh, wherever or whenever it's coming from. Mm, but there's yeah. still there, there was no indication of a hoax in that case that that I've ever been told or that I'm aware of at all. So, and again, there were lots of witnesses to many of these things. But another linguist, Peter Trindu, who I mentioned before, disagreed about the legitimacy of that communication. He made a detailed study of these electronic communications, said they were written in a late Middle English dialect mm -hmm. from the 1500s. And Webster, again, the guy who owned the house, and his wife had no knowledge of Middle English, uh, which was, of course, a long-vanished form of our language. Right. So you had the experts disagreeing on the legitimacy of the language. Yeah, well... I just thought it was interesting that he wrote poems about his wife. <laughs> yeah, that's really strange. That's really, that's really I'd weird. consider that pretty creepy. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty yeah. creepy. Well, Trinder reported, this is a quote, We increased our efforts to uncover any deception, but there was a positive side effect of the computer in the kitchen that seemed to calm the poltergeist activity. Now, that's interesting. Very often um, around electronic equipment, it gets worse. Hmm. Having had TVs thrown Tom at me. Over a period of about 16 months, other associated phenomena included altered states of consciousness for Debbie, that's Webster's wife, and evidence of other communicators beside the main guy, this Thomas from the Harden from the 1500s. Some of these other communications were unreadable. Uh, their messages were childlike nonsense and often angry. That says lower uh, That, 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 that says something there, yeah. Others were coherent but seemed completely contemporary and designed to unsettle mm -hmm. another parasite trait. Not all messages were on the computer. They appeared on paper that was lying around the walls or the floor, something I've seen too. Some messages seemed unfinished, unsigned, as if the writer had been disturbed. I'd be pretty disturbed with this situation. I'm wondering what some of the other the other things were signed as. And were they written in letter format? Know, I'm, still, I'm still researching this. Now, there was a book. Webster himself eventually wrote a book uh, called The Vertical Plane, P-L-A-N-E. The Vertical Plane. Which is out of print and very hard to find. I did find one copy for 62 bucks, but I, I'm not going to shell out 62 bucks. I'll but go I, I'm try to get you on it. it. <laughs> find out more about it. Maybe get a guest or two on that case and see what uh, the situation is. Okay. All right. Uh, there is... Okay, that, that's um, so much for foreign language syndrome and haunted computers. We do have one or two things we got from our good friend Lon Strickler at Phantom, Phantom, phantomsandmonsters.com. Lon is a researcher uh, down uh, Florida way and uh, is also the special projects reporter for this show. Now, any self-respecting paranormal devotee knows about cattle mutilations. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, for those who don't, uh, supposedly denizens of flying saucers or black helicopters or what have you will mutilate cattle in a very systematic way, take organs and everything else, and sp do something with them. Nobody really knows. All that, fun, many, all many that fun stuff. Yes. But here are mutilated fish. Okay. This is uh, this is written to MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, from uh, Canoville, Pennsylvania. And uh, here's the the property owner said, nearly every day I walk around my 3.5 acre lake, my 3.5 acre <laughs> lake, to view the spring fish hatch. My lake is 200 feet from my front door. I found on a Tuesday morning a mutilated fish 20 feet off the shoreline on the grass. Assuming it was a predator, I threw the fish in the woods to be finished off by other small predators. Uh, now, 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 before you continue, uh, where did this where did this occur? Uh, Canoville, Pennsylvania. Okay. Okay. Right. I don't know where that is. 
Two days later, the same occurrence took place. This is an event I have never seen since the lakes were constructed in 1972, so man-made lakes. So I took a close look at this fish, a largemouth bass, and found parts of the fish missing, eyes, internal organs, anal area, and a very strange five-eighths of an inch perfectly round hole near the spinal area. That's just what they find in cattle mutilations, Mm. right? Uh, No blood was present. That's also what they find in cattle mutilations. Having heard in the past that a hole of this caliber is common to mutilated animal cases, I handled the fish with surgical gloves, photographed the fish from many angles, and then froze it. I have not seen the pictures. I then called Linda Moulton Howe, ta-da, our good friend who's yep. been on the show many times, who as you know, a para, uh, sort of a, a science journalist of, of great, of very high standing, uh, who as you may know has been investigating cases of mutilation for those uh, for more than 30 years. She was immediately interested, and we're out of time, so to make a long story short, this is still being investigated, but fish mutilation, so that was fish, new to me. Fish mutilations. Fish mutilations. All right. I'm afraid that's it for now, folks. We'll continue uh, on a future show with the rest of our cases on that uh, extreme paranormal vein. Uh, so let's do our announcements. Alrighty. So we got we have we have quite a bit going on. Uh, first, we're going to start off with uh, we're going to be doing an on-air drawing on uh, October 7th for two free uh, four fam- four ticket family packs for the uh, first New England UFO conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts, on Saturday, October 26th. Among the speakers uh, will be the UFO experts uh, who we regularly have on the show, Stan Friedman, uh, Kathleen Martin, Peter Robbins, among others. And uh, my dad and I will be there to interview them in front of a live audience, and uh, they'll take questions from the audience, too, and it'll be a good time. And all you have to do to enter is send an email to us at uh, paulbehindtheparanormal.com, or you can send us a snail mail at uh, Behind the Paranormal Care of... W-O-O-N, 1240 AM, 985 Park Avenue, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, 02895. Please include your name, first and last, and middle initial if you'd like. Address and phone number. And uh, there's also a link at the BehindTheParanormal.com website. And uh, I should say, this is only for the tickets. It doesn't include... Yes, it's not, it's not an all-expenses-paid trip. New Zealand yeah. or somewhere, and you win, well, that's, you know, have to get here on your own. Our CBS radio show on Sunday, December 8th, will mark our 500th official broadcast, not counting special shows. We'd love to hear your suggestions about what we should present that evening. Your favorite guest, a guest we haven't had before, open lines, or some special topic like we did tonight. So drop a line to us one way or the other on that. Hmm. Also, Ben and I will be presenting Behind the Paranormal, a cosmic journey at the Harris Public Library right here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, September 25th. No charge, no registration, and there will be refreshments. Free food. Always like refreshments. Yes. So many thanks to our producer, Ben himself. And next week, September 16th, we will bring you an open line show on many paranormal subjects. Maybe we'll continue what we were doing this evening since we didn't get through it. Yeah, no, because I, I had a few things about that whole uh, fish sure. mutilation thing. Uh, so uh, get your questions to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com, via the Behind the Paranormal page on Facebook, or by writing to us here at WOON, and you then just gave the address. Let's just give it again for good measure, 985 Park Avenue, Winsocket, Rhode Island, 02895. Alrighty, so, uh, and on our CBS edition of the show on Sunday, September 15th in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, including Windsor and Vancouver, we will welcome uh, back John Burroughs, U.S. Air Force witness to the Rendlesham Forest UFO landings on uh, 1980, or back in 1980, I should say, uh, to talk about his new book and what he has gone through as a veteran uh, because of his UFO experience. Uh, we leave you this evening with a thought from, of all people, Marshall Wyatt Earp. Quote, Fast is fine, but accuracy is everything, unquote. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on a great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. 
return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.